Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you feel like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hell, I suck at dating. With Dean Ungler and Jared Haven, an iHeartRadio podcast. What is going on, sucky daters? Welcome to an all-new episode of Help, I Suck at Dating. Jared's you wife know, is in the background. This is what happens when you record at home. Holy crap, they God just like keep interrupting. Off. It's uh, So this is what happens, you know, your wife butts in. Anyway, welcome to Help, I Suck at Dating. Dean's playing a video game. My wife is coming into her room. This is just what happens in 2021. We have a great episode coming up for you, though. Uh, we have some emails, of course, our favorite part. We have our great guest. Uh, he is... Um, podcast host to Dear Therapist, uh, and you can obviously listen to that wherever you get your podcast. Guy Winch is on the program today. Sound We sound like real professionals when we say that. Um, so make sure you tune in for that. But before that, Dean, uh, are you in a car? Are you in a house? Where the hell are you? I'm in a house. Uh, I'm sitting in front of my Xbox, playing some Call of Duty. So if you, if I get a little distracted, just know that uh, I'm, you know, I'm getting some, some headshots over here. So just See, don't mind me. Yeah, you just need to turn the Xbox off. There's too much distraction. That's why, like, I, that's a, you know, there's good things about working from home, but there's also bad things from working at home. One of the good things is you can wear pajamas to work. The bad news is there is about a million distractions in your house that just keeps you so unmotivated. Now, I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying that to me. At the end of the day, we've been doing this podcast for a long time, right? I think almost like two or three years. You and I together for two years, I would say. And through those two years, I've really learned to just turn my brain off as soon as you start talking and just kind of tune back in like five or six minutes later, just because you go off on these tangents, you know. So this is a great way for me to kind of like remain, like keep my neurons firing while also not paying attention to you speak. So it's like kind of a win-win in a weird way. Great. I'm glad to hear that. Anyway... Let's get into our first topic of the day. Becca Martinez, Bachelor alum. Uh, if you, I think everybody who, who probably is a Bachelor fan knows who Be- Becca Martinez is. Uh, she uh, just had an article written 
that said that her and her boyfriend have actually had talks about having an open relationship. So uh, it says that, you know, Becca obviously is not afraid to embrace her non-traditional views on relationships. She's done this many times during appearance on Tuesday's episode of Dear Media's Not Skinny But Not Fat podcast. That's the first time I'm reading that. I like that title. Uh, Becca opened up about her relationship with her boyfriend, Grayston Leonard, who they have one child. They are pro- uh, She's pregnant with their second and they talk about having an open relationship. She said, we've talked before about it, uh, you know, wanting to get married. I don't know if I want to have sex with you for the rest of my life. So at <laughs> least Becca's very honest. She was quoted as that. She also quoted said, and so we've talked about that. Maybe one day we could have an open relationship. Said that uh, her boyfriend, uh, Grayston, first of all, great name. God, I love that <laughs> name. Uh, said that he was possibly open to the idea. Becca went on to say, he's not that jealous. Uh, she went on to add that no matter what the future may hold, she and Grayston will always be committed to one another. Uh, they have two kids together, obviously, like we just talked about. They love each other. Uh, they want to be together, but they might want to be in an o- open relationship. So, Dean, what are your thoughts about being in an open relationship? You ever talked to Kaylin about it? Uh, I've, uh, I have not talked to Kaylin about it, seriously. Uh, maybe, like, jokingly or whatever. I don't know. I think... Uh, if that's what you want to do, by by all means, more power to you. It's like a very progressive way of thinking. Maybe not progressive, but just like kind of against the grain. Modern. Yeah, modern day, I feel like. I feel like more people yeah. think about it today than 30 years ago. Right. And I think that the reason that they even consider it as, an, uh, as a possibility is because they have the kids. Like, it just kind of, it, it's like, look, we'll always be committed to each other and these kids. But like, let's say we have these desires elsewhere, then just like know that you're allowed to explore it. And I think that the way that I at least understood that quote was like, we're not in an open relationship now, but like we possibly could, like I could see ourselves entering one later on down the line, which like, I think that's a really mature way of thinking. It's like, you know, you don't know how you're going to be feeling about things in five or 10 years, but you do know that you're going to stay committed to your children. Um, and so, I mean, I respect, I respect that quite Would a bit. Would you ever be in an open relationship? Um, I have no idea. It's possible. I don't really, I don't see why I would ever want to be in an open relationship. Um, but I don't, like I said, I don't know how I'm going to feel in five or 10 years at this moment in my life. No, like I don't really care enough. Uh, like I, I think Becca kind of touches on it in that quote. It's like, I think the only reason to pursue an open relationship is because for whatever reason, you're not being fulfilled, uh, sexually, right? And so it's mm-hmm. like, as long as you're having that fulfilled, then I don't really see the reason to be in an open relationship, unless you kind of just get off on the, on the, you know, random people thing, which is totally fine, too. But uh, at the moment, no, I don't necessarily see I like I could, I could, I could see myself maybe one day, like, I'm not really a very jealous person at this point in my life. So it's like, I don't re- like that wouldn't really bother me too much. Um, so let I me just, put like, a hypothetical in your mind, say, like, somebody was um, of course, people are just going to assume this is me, but I'm literally just spitballing off the top of my head. Say someone was in a, a committed relationship mm-hmm. and they were having thoughts of cheating on their spouse because they were yeah. so sexually attracted to somebody else. Do you think the right thing to do would be to either try to bury that and push it to the side or discuss with your partner about possibly bringing someone else in for... Maybe not an open relationship, but maybe some uh, openness in the bedroom. Yeah. No, that's an interesting question. I don't know if you should necessarily talk about bringing – I mean, obviously, who the heck knows what they're talking about? I sure don't. But my uh, interpretation of it would be don't don't suppress it. Don't talk about bringing them into the bedroom. Don't do other things. But in the middle ground, you could be like, 
you could approach your partner and be like, hey, like I have these uh, these thoughts or these feelings about someone else. Uh, let's just talk about it. And then I think once you just talk about it, that hopefully would be enough to kind of like uh, alleviate any type of feelings that you might have for that other person, whatever it might be. Or even just like, you know, openness and honesty and all that kind of stuff, I think kind of like helps you. Like sometimes it's not like a sexual desire. It's just like you kind of like need to just like talk it out. Uh, and so that's kind of my take on it, at least. What about you? My- what do you think? Well, my neighbor uh, is a gay man, very, very sweet human being. He was in a thruple, which is Mm. an open relationship with three people uh, since we moved in. And they have since broken up. And then two of the three stayed together while the third moved out. Mm. But they seem to like it. I don't know. I think it's so hard to navigate when you, first of all, relationships are difficult to start off with. Like, uh, you know, I love my wife, but obviously it's, you know, there's certain uh, give and takes that you have in any relationship. The idea of adding something else in there, somebody else in there and adding to that stress, whew, that's mm-hmm. a heavy burden. So I looked up pros and cons of being in an open relationship. This is from a website called polycoach.com. So it says some of the pros, first one, personal growth, open relationship lifestyle offers a sea of opportunities of personal growth. Being in an open relationship has taught me how to be more true to myself while staying in connection with my partner and with others. They also Hmm. say, oh, my alarm's going off. My laundry's done. I got to change that. Anyway, uh, they say more variety is another pro. Do you ever think that you could have your cake and eat it too? Whoa. People in open relationships can say that. He, uh, they also say that improved communication is a pro. Communication is the biggest area of focus for anyone practicing ethical non-monogamy. Um, mm-hmm. They also okay. So now we're getting into the cons. Obviously, the first one: feelings. Feelings and emotions are a natural part of being human. All feelings come and go. That's the natural nature of the game. So obviously, jealousy would be a big one. Logistics is another one. Uh, saying love is infinite, but time is finite is commonly used by people who practice ethical non-monogamy. I don't know exactly what that means. Love is infinite, but time is finite. Well, love I guess is I kinda, infinite. Yeah. But time you know is finite. Means. I know what that means, yeah. but I guess I'm trying to understand in the context of an open relationship what that means. Um, he's, but they go on to say there are only so many hours in the day, work, family, relationships, all of that. Uh, there's just not enough time to do everything that we want to do, let alone add another person to the mix. Uh, so obviously, you know, time is uh, constrained when you're in an open relationship. They also say limited resources when things get tough. One of the main reasons why this apparent, this person says they choose to work with the open relationship niche is because it is a very undeserved population, underserved population, excuse me. There are resources available, online articles, books, podcasts, blah, 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 blah couple is struggling. It's hard to find someone to talk to who can both understand their situation. So pretty much what this person's saying is that like, it's great. You get more, you know, the pros are you get more variety. You get to have your cake and eat it too, which is always a positive. But apparently this helped them in communication as well, adding another person, which makes sense because you all have to be kind of on the same page if you're all going to be in this open relationship and be happy in it. But obviously logistics, jealousy, and uh, lack of time with both people uh, is some of the cons, which I can totally understand. So, I mean, good for them. I don't know if I could ever be in an open relationship. I get, uh, I just overthink everything in general. So the idea of adding another person in there, woof. Plus, like, you know, I'm just not, you know, I, I would feel like uh, the worst of the three. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Um, My self-confidence couldn't handle an open relationship. I would be constantly insecure. Wait one second. Let me just pause Call of Duty here real quick. Uh, that's kind of exactly what I was talking about. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I think the insecurities definitely pay, play a big factor in it. But it's like, okay, like picture this. Ten years down the line, you know, you and Ashley married. You have, we'll say, two kids at the time. Um, and things are getting like a little stale. Maybe that would be like an interesting way for you to kind of come in and like reinvigorate the, you know, the primal well, urges. Is the is like an open relationship the same thing as a threesome? Um, I don't think. So. I mean, is is a relationship I don't think the same so. thing as like a one night stand? I no, I agree. I I think it's a little bit different. But it sounds like well, an open relationship is being open to having threesomes. I don't think an open relationship means thruples only. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you're a couple and you just like kind of swing every once in a while. Um, and I have friends who are in the swinging community, which is kind of funny to say. Uh, and it just it sounds really interesting. They're happy with it, but it really does boil down to communication. Um, and the big thing that at least I've understood with all of that stuff is beyond that, make sure that both people want to do it and not that one person wants to do it. And the other person is doing it because that person wants to do it. Because if that's the case, then that's how, that's how bad feelings start to fester. Um, but if both people want to do it, I think it's a lot better rather than one person doing it just to like make the other person happy. You know what I mean? Well, that's why I think this person said one of the pros is communication because it forces you to talk about things with your partners because, like you said, you have to be all on the same page or else jealousy is going to take over. People are going to get insecure and it's just going to turn things into a far worse situation. Right. But if you if you wait till after the fact to get on the same page, then you kind of are like looking back with regret and remorse. But if you're on the same page before even getting into that situation, uh, then that's obviously a much better place to be. You know what I mean? Like Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can't say it's never going to happen for me personally. Uh, I don't I don't expect it to. I don't plan on it ever happening. But it's freaking we've all seen how crazy the world can get. So you never know what you might want to do before the world explodes. Yeah, that's true. You know, you got to check certain things off the bucket list before the asteroid hits. Right, right, right. And that's on the list. I mean, it's low on the list. Don't get me wrong. Priority is very low on it. But if I were to make a list, I probably would have something like that on the list at some point. Yeah, why not? You know, you, you got to try everything once. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, so I think we kind of agree on that. Um, I also read up on this uh, New York Times article because you and I are obviously in relationships, so we don't know, like, too much about the dating world. So I looked up uh, the dating world during the pandemic, and there was this New York Times article that was pretty interesting. It said true stories of hooking up during COVID-19, and it hmm. just went through different stories of anonymous people. And... It is pretty crazy when you think about it, Dean, because like you and I were single for a while. Dating was great, but also sucked many times, you know, going on dates, the 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 nervousness of of meeting someone or not knowing who they are, where they come from. Now add in a pandemic and like some of these stories are crazy. Like one person went on a date and she got like berated by a dude who was kind of making fun of her for asking him to keep his mask on. Just the idea of going on a date and staying six feet apart is something that will never cease to amaze me. I don't know how people are dating right now. Like, I get nervous when I encounter someone I don't know and we're, like, still six feet apart, but I still get weirded out. Mm -hmm. I feel bad for people who have to go on dates right now. It sucks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I agree. I think I was talking to one of my buddies the other day who is single, and I was like, dude, it's got to be absolutely brutal. And he, like... uh, most of my friends are like self-sufficient enough, the, like the single ones where they're like, yeah, like I don't really need to be in a relationship. 
Uh, and I don't think that either of us were ever really like that either, but it would just like, it would suck. It would absolutely suck. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're single, um, maybe tell us how you're getting through this quarantine. Uh, you can email us. I suck at dating at iheartmedia.com. I think it would be cool to get like firsthand accounts of how people are coping and how they're going on dates. Um, all that kind of stuff. And obviously like California just opened up. I think today is the first day that they've allowed outdoor dining since like October or something like that. Yeah, it's finally um, starting to open up, even though like this new strand of COVID apparently is more contagious than the the other one. This this I think South African strand they're calling it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, dude. I don't know. It just seems like it gets worse every day, and we're never getting out of it. But I hope I'm wrong about that. I'm also a pessimist. Um, I'm just curious. Like I, I want to know from the people out there: are more people like sexting or doing like Zoom sex chats? I'm very curious about that because I feel like there was always a stigma against sexting. And now I feel like it should be more prevalent than than any other time in history. <laughs> uh, there's uh, another another friend of mine um, who she she doesn't like sext, but she sends like like sexy gifts to the people that she's talking to. It's very strange. Um, but I mean, I'm sure there's got to be more than that. But Jared, so yesterday before we before we jump into our guest uh, who you mentioned above guy winch we also took these apology quizzes you and i oh yeah i forgot about that yeah well we we need to discuss that at least a little bit before getting into our guests so uh we took jared and i both took apology quizzes on the five love languages website the five thought uh, it'd be a good idea i i think i don't know i don't know what it tells about me well so so for the listeners out there go to the five love languages website and take the apology quiz if you're interested but there are five ways to apologize properly according to this website um, expressing regret, accepting responsibility, making restitution, genuinely repenting or requesting forgiveness. Uh, and you take this test, it probably takes like 10 or 15 minutes and it like it rates, uh, which way that you like to apologize and you like other people to apologize to you. Yeah. It's like uh, a psychological and- test. Cause it was like, I don't know if you noticed this, but every question they asked, it gave five different answers of way people like the ways you want people to respond, but all five right. ways were very similar. They were just kind of worded differently with different phrases. So right. it kind of felt like I forget what that test is called, but it's a test you have to take before you go on The Bachelor. Um, it's that psychological exam where uh, a lot yeah, of the yeah, questions yeah. are are very repetitive but worded differently to see mm-hmm. you know how sane or insane you are. Mm-hmm. So do you remember which like when taking this apology test? Do you remember which one you uh apologize properly or like the way you apologize well yeah i mean i i I, it's pretty easy like you read the question and then you read the five answers and after a couple questions you start to like realize which answers are like you can tell it's like compartmentalizing the the responses and then it's going to give you back an answer depending on which one you answered the most you know yeah i see Um, yours i see yours now your primary apology dean uh your primary apology language was accept responsibility yeah uh, it's funny, too, because I sent that to Kaylin to take the test as well. Um, I got accepting responsibility. Uh, you got expressing regret. And Kaylin actually got expressing regret as well. Well, all the cool and, kids get expressing regret, obviously. I guess. But, man, I don't know. Like, I, It's funny because Kaylin and I even had a conversation about this at breakfast today. It's like I need, I don't need you to express regret or, or guilt or remorse. Like, I know you feel bad, but just like tell me you made a mistake and let's move past. Like, I just need ownership of the mistake that was made like just be like oh crap i messed up i'm so sorry like 
uh, it was like a bonehead move. I won't do it again. Like, that's all I really need to hear. I don't want to say, I feel so guilty. Will you please forgive me? I'll do anything. Like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want you to like grovel. I just want you to be like, I messed up. I'm sorry. Let's move. Yeah. That's all. You know, the funny thing about this is I feel like I'm more like you with accepting responsibility, expecting responsibility than I am expressing regret. Because, all right, here's the definition of somebody who has uh, the apology language of expressing regret. says, for most people, an apology is not really an apology unless they hear the words, I'm sorry. For many of us, in order to truly forgive, we need to see that the person who has injured us regrets what they have done. This is the most essential of the elements of an apology, but some people feel it more keenly than others. And then the definition of someone like yourself, whose language is accepting responsibility, is we can all find good reasons and explanations for why we behave badly. She was pushing my buttons. I was running late. She hurt my feelings. Whatever the reason, it doesn't change the fact that what we did was wrong or hurtful to a person. Isn't that kind of like the same thing? <laughs> Aren't those uh, two definitions very similar? I think I think they're similar. I think they're they're a little bit different, though. My my big argument against expressing regret as an apology, a way to apologize, is it kind of like it exonerates bad behavior. Like I could do whatever I want and then just be like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. I apologize. Like I feel so bad. Boom. Forgiven. Like I, it just it's it just seems like a like a like a way to wipe the slate clean without really putting any work in just by saying I'm sorry wipes the slate clean, you know, and no, I totally t- agree with you. At least by taking ownership, you're like kind of like maybe processing it and internalizing it a little bit more and be like, okay, I messed up. And then to me, when I hear someone say that, I'm like, great, you know, you messed up. And so now, you know, if we're in a similar situation again, you know how you already messed up before, which makes me think that you are less likely to make the same mistake and mess up again. That's kind of how I look at it. Oh, I agree with you. It's way better to accept responsibility, but I'm such a pansy in those situations. If somebody just expresses regret, I immediately forgive them. And even though I know they're going to screw me over later anyway, so it doesn't even matter. Fool me once, but, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. But I mean, I guess it's a good thing. Like, obviously, you want to be able to have, like, empathy uh, and forgive people like that. And I, yeah, like, I to an th- extent. To an extent, right. totally. And it definitely depends. Like, a lot of the questions on the quiz, um, some of them you're like, like, a lot of the times I wanted to answer, like, I don't care enough about this. Like, you don't need to apologize. And then some of them were, like, pretty severe um and so it was just one of those things where it's like obviously it depends on a case-by-case basis um but it's interesting so check it out it's at the five love languages uh website it's the apology quiz um i got accepting responsibility jared got expressing regret along with kaylin i was hoping that you were gonna have ashley take it because i'm curious what she would be too what do you think she would be i think that ashley would be i don't know probably the same as me expressing regret because I don't know, I mean, genuinely repenting, that doesn't sound like her. Requesting mm-hmm. forgiveness, that doesn't sound like her. And then accepting responsibility, she's more like me. If somebody just says, I'm sorry, she's like, okay, that's fine, and just moves on. But let's ask our our guest, Guy Winch, about this. I want to get uh, him on the podcast as well. Of course, he's the host of Dear Therapist, uh, the podcast. So we're going to have Guy coming up in just a second. But before he comes on to the podcast, let's take a quick break. <laughs> At Walmart, there's a whole collection of black-led products that fit into your daily routine. We encourage you to show black founders some love, not just during Black History Month, but all year long. There is power in every purchase. Every time we purchase from a black-led brand, we make room for another black-led brand. Black founders and the products they bring to the table are creating a whole new world of choices at Walmart. 
Some amazing Black-owned businesses that are available at Walmart include The Lip Bar, Zach and Zoe Honey, Partake Cookies, the list goes on and on. Go to walmart.com slash black and unlimited to discover all the amazing Black-owned products you can add to your daily routine. True love is always being excited from the first moment you see one another and every time after that. It's taking long walks together in the summer, gazing longingly into each other's eyes, and, well, watching their tail wag when they chase a squirrel in the yard. The Pedigree brand asked about believing in love at first sight. And honestly, the answer is yes. Ashley adopted Lois, and I didn't know until I actually picked her up and saw her with my own eyes that we were taking this dog home. But I took one look at Lois, and my life has never been the same, and I love her so much, and I'm very grateful for that moment that Ashley decided to adopt Lois. So it really was love at first sight for me. Adopting a dog can lead to a lifetime of meaningful connections. A pedigree loyalty survey revealed that 95% of dog owners say that the bond they have with their dogs is closer than expected. And another pedigree loyalty survey revealed 90% of first-time dog owners report that having a dog improved at least one relationship in their lives. We have adopted two dogs. First was Pappy and the second was Alistair. And I got to tell you, I didn't know I could love such a little creature so much with Pappy. He just stole our hearts right away. He was so attached to us. And even with Alistair, we got him and we fostered at first and then decided to adopt not long after that. Just a few days after. They bring so much light into our lives. After we lost Pappy, I was, Kaylin and I agreed to maybe take a couple months off from having a dog in our lives. And not even a week later, we we couldn't stand it anymore. There's just so much light that coming home to a dog brings into our lives. And and whenever we're on a trip, all we can ever think about is coming back home and seeing Alistair. So I I love adoption. I think adopting dogs is the way to go. They are so grateful for it. They definitely love you harder because they know what you took them from and and the great life that you're giving them. Real love can exist between pet and pet parent. Pedigree is committed to helping more dogs find loving homes, and we can attest that love at first sight is closer than you think. It's available at your local dog shelter. Find love at first sight with the Pedigree Adoption Drive June 7th to 9th, and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Visit pedigree.com adoption drive to learn more about the adoption drive and to see full terms and conditions. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, welcome back to Help I Suck at Dating. We have our very special guest, Guy Winch, joining us. He is, of course, taping season two of his iHeartRadio podcast, Dear Therapist, with co-host Lori, which, of course, you can go listen to wherever you listen to your podcast. He's a licensed psychologist. Guy Winch, ladies and gentlemen. Guy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks. It's always so weird introducing people over Zoom because, like, we're in the po- we're we're in the like the 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 podcast studio. People like applause. There's more people now. It's like, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey. I was giving them some snaps over here. I think snaps are like the that's the new applause. Yeah, um, I think that's good. 
Yeah. yeah. So, Guy, tell us a little bit about what you do and what you talk about on Dear Therapist. I'm a psychologist. Uh, I write an advice column for TED uh, called Dear Guy, and I do this podcast with Laurie Gottlieb, who's an advice columnist for The Atlantic. And so we're both therapists. What we do is we bring on a guest every week. We read their letter. Then we discuss it as a therapist consultation. So you get to be a fly on the wall and hear how therapists talk about things. Then we bring the person on and do an actual session with them. Then we give them actionable advice they have to do within a week. Then we unpack it as therapists do, and you get to hear that. And then we have them come back, which is what uh, what's different about our show. We have them come back and tell us, so did they do it? And how did it go? And what happened? And then we have a discussion about that. So you actually get to hear a full arc of what their issue is, what we think their issue is, and then we tell them to do stuff and they do it and we hear how it went. Hmm. What types of issues do you typically see these couples having? No, it's not couples, it's individuals. Mostly. Oh, it we, is? Have okay. a couple of, we have a few couples, but it can be, a, we did a mother-daughter recently, it can be two people. Um, but really it's, it's advice, so it's pretty much everything. It can be about relationships, it can be about work, it can be about heartbreak, it can be about dating, we got a lot of dating stuff. Um, so really it's about um, pretty much anything you would expect to talk to a therapist about or write to an advice columnist about. So can you give me an example of like some of the stories that you've heard and then some of the advice that you give them? And then has anybody failed? Has anybody not come back a week later? Or is a week a long enough time for someone to accomplish what you're asking them to do? First of all, that's a good question. So we as a, you know, when you do therapy, you it's a process. You don't expect somebody to have to do something within a week. And also you don't expect us to have to as a therapist to be able to tell you how to solve your problems in a week. But um, here's another. So our first episode, uh, I think one of our most popular ones is was a woman called Shrina. She was heartbroken. She got dumped and she was trying to figure out like what happened, why that keeps happening, happening to her. And we and what it turns out, which is often what turns out is somebody comes and writes a letter because they think their issue is X. But it turns out we think it's something else. And we were talking with her about why she doesn't realize that she's trying to go for these guys who she's not suited for. Have, they seem very, very different. She's trying to bend herself into a pretzel to fit without even asking herself whether she wants to or whether they fit her. And so there was some unfinished business with this person and it was related to her history with her family. And we had her um, actually, uh, they had to, it's COVID. So they had to like exchange the stuff, you know, like uh, he had stuff left at hers, she had stuff left at his. And then COVID hit, so they weren't able to, she wasn't able to do that part, but she was able to think very differently about what happened. We've had one guy, for example, whose wife cheated on him and then asked to come back. And our feeling was, ah, she's back because it's convenient, not because she really loves him. And so we had him ask her tough questions like, do you really care if that guy that, you know, said he wasn't willing to leave his wife for you, if he said tomorrow that he would, would you go with him? Like really ask the tough questions and hear what she had to say. So it depends on the case. We'll ask people to do certain things. We'll ask people to write to people, to confront the people with whom they're having the issue. It really depends on the case. But what's interesting about it is that A, you really learn something about yourself because relationships are pretty uh, universal and the issues are pretty universal. But B, you get to hear what real therapy sounds like and you get to hear how therapists think. And I think that that's a nice window into a process we don't really get to hear, see or hear much about. How have you noticed the, uh, like the, I don't want to call them problems, but like the, the reasons people are coming to you guys, how have you noticed them shift from uh, pre-COVID to, you know, the past year or so of all of this? Like what, uh, is there a noticeable shift in like the issues that people are looking to, 
to uh, amend or is it more of the same stuff you think? Well, it's a good question, but actually the issues don't change because the issues are the issues, but COVID complicates every single one mm. of them almost really, right? You know, like one woman for a holiday episode, we had a woman who just got divorced and she and her parents divorced. So she usually had to do the guilt about, do I go to mom? Do I go to dad? What do I do? And this one, she actually, because of COVID, she actually couldn't. So it was a great mm. opportunity for her to reclaim the holidays and actually for the first time in her life, do the holidays the way she wanted with her friends and in a way that was joyful for her. And joyful it was. It was great. She, she not only sent a follow-up, she sent us an email with pictures from the Zooms of everything she did. And she was so excited and thrilled. It was really nice to see. COVID was an opportunity for her in that way. Yeah. Yeah, nice. It's, it's nice to see that people are still being able to make the most, I guess, out of a bad situation. Um, yeah. What about, I've always kind of wondered this. Uh, so before, before any of this came about, right, you ha- you've been working, I'm sure, uh, in psychology and, and, and in therapy for a long time. How does like becoming uh, a, a quote unquote celebrity therapist in a way, uh, or at least like, like publicizing a lot of your findings and all that kind of stuff, how, does that change like your, philo- your, like your approach to therapy at all? Or, or I, I, I'm just always so, con- not, not confused, but just curious about how, um, it like might affect your, just your job in general. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you know, what's interesting about that? My, um, I, I guess got more attention when my first Ted talk came out, it was like five or six years ago and it went viral and, and, uh, you know, it's like 10, 11 million views. And, and, um, then another one came out and it went viral. And so I get a lot of people coming to me and many of them from internationally and many of them just want a one-off session. They want one session with me, one hour with me to deal with something. And that's not a typical model you get in a therapy office per se. Why I love it um, and why I really like it is because as a therapist, usually you have to kind of hold back a bit. You have to time what you want to say. Is the person ready to hear it or not? In an hour, you don't hold back at (laughs) all. I get to kind of really let fly. I get to really just put it out there, say exactly what I think is going on, blunt as all hell and uh and and that is kind of liberating for me as a therapist and then that transfers very nicely to the podcast in that way you wrote an article on psychology today entitled why some couples should argue via email which (laughs) sounds like people shouldn't argue over email but you say they should why first of all um email by email i mean email text electronically really anything Mm -hmm. um and I can't tell you how many couples argue that way today, whether I recommend it or not. They're in the house and they're having an argument from different rooms <laughs> over text rather than just get up and talk to one another. It's very, very, very common. For some couples, it's a good idea because those couples are ones in which they escalate so quickly. The argument escalates so rapidly when they're in person that they don't have time to think, to edit. And texts, um, really because text is more than email, text slows it down. They have to type, it, take, it makes them slow down. They have, to, they have an opportunity to read what they wrote before they send it if they have the, the, you know, the impulse control to do that. It actually slows it down and it prevents escalation. You can't just blurt something out in text. You can, but then you might think about it and you, can, you can't stuff words back into your mouth, but you can erase them on a text. So for couples who are very fiery, who escalate very quickly and go from zero to cursing, and yelling within six seconds, that might be a good idea until they learn how to argue more productively. What about that? Uh, there's that Key and Peel skit where they're having a communication via text. I don't know if you've seen this guy. Uh, and 
one person sends a text that's like completely innocuous and harmless and like almost borderline friendly, but then the other person receives it as him being like snarky and 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 uh, standoffish and aggressive. Uh, so, what do you say about that? Like how how people can misinterpret texts just by simply reading the same words, but just in a different tone, you know? And it's something that's again ridiculously common. And the problem is we don't we we forget we don't remember that in text there is no tonality. There's no facial expression. You can't modify what you say by tone. You can say things that with tone sound radically different. Like, uh, you know, you haven't asked me that in a whole week. You can say that very sweetly or like, you haven't asked me that in a week. Or you, and, and how that's read um, depends on the other person. And so we misinterpret, uh, miscommunicate, both in terms of how we interpret a text and second in terms of how we send and what we think our intention is versus what comes across. It happens all the time. Now, I just want to say one thing. As a therapist, I love texts because when people sit in a session and they tell me, and then they said this, I'm saying, don't tell me what they said. Let me read it. Mm. And then I can see, and I'm like, no, no, no. I, re I would read that entirely differently because I don't have your baggage. So I don't have to, it doesn't hit my nerve. And then I can read it with a very different tone. And people go, oh, I never, yeah, I can see that now, but it never occurred to me that it could be meant entirely in a different manner than what I perceived. So people really have to remember that it's very inaccurate as a form of, of communication because there's no tonality, no facial expression, no body language. We can misinterpret easily. Yeah. I great. heard a great piece of advice one time where people who rant and rave on Twitter, they say, type it out, save it in a draft, go to sleep. If you wake up the next morning and you still <laughs> want to tweet it, then hit the tweet button. Um, yes. So also, uh, doctor, you talk about uh, prioritizing your physical health uh, possibly over your emotional health, which is obviously quite different than what we hear a lot. So what do you, what do you, you mean it. by that? I mean the opposite, in fact. What, I, what yeah. I say is that we do that. That is, in fact, oh. what we do. We tend to prioritize our physical health over our emotional health, and that's a problem. Sorry, I thought, words, you meant the, I, when, I thought you meant when, the opposite. Never mind. So you're saying prioritize no, your emotional right. health over your physical health. But a lot of people do no, that. I am saying treat them equally. My, I'm an identical twin. And so that comes from me feeling like, hey, these things are like twins, our physical and our emotional health. We really should be giving them an equal amount of attention. But 90% of the attention goes to our physical health. When we wake up in the morning and you have a twinge in a muscle or you're feeling a little off or you have a little bit of a fever or whatever it is, you have a thing in your throat, you immediately pay attention to it and you're like, oh, maybe I won't go running because my, my quad is hurting or, you know, maybe I better, you know, wear a scarf because I've got a little bit of a sore throat. We just naturally monitor, right? We, we brush our teeth and floss twice a day. What is the action we do for our emotional health on a daily basis? There's none. What, is an, what do we teach our kids about emotional hygiene? Nothing. There is a way in which we completely ignore our emotional and our psychological health, we're completely ignorant about it. Um, if, if you get a cut on your arm, if anyone gets a cut, they, anyone at past the age of whatever, can tell whether that requires a stitch, a bandage, or an emergency room. But when we get hurt emotionally or psychologically, we don't even know if it's a wound. We don't even know what to do. We are terribly, terribly behind well, in our I, sophistication. I think the issue is that a lot of people just don't know what to do. Like with physical right. health, there's, you know, you can go to the gym, you can go to for a run, you can do whatever you need to do. So what are some of the things that people can do to help their emotional health? So first of all, there is a ton of information out there, and, and, but we tend to not look for it. We tend to not, and we tend to ignore it when we hear it because we think, eh, you know, that's just bullshit. We don't pay attention to it, and, and we should. So, for example, one of the, uh, when it comes, let's say, to rejection, 
It's one of the things I write about in, in, in one of my books, Emotional First Aid. So rejection, when we get rejected, one of the most instinctual things we do, romantically, right? It's a dating show. Romantically, one of the instinctual things we do is we start to figure out why it happened. And that usually goes to, I'm not this enough, or I'm not that enough, or if I were only this or that, then the person wouldn't have rejected me. We, we literally catalog all our, our perceived faults and shortcomings. And that's at a time when our self-esteem is hurting. And we're actually hitting it and hurting it even more when it's already hurting, when we should actually be doing the opposite. When you get rejected, you should revive your self-esteem and your feelings of self-worth by actually focusing on what you do bring to the table to feel better about yourself, not focusing on what you don't to feel worse. Um, and, and so it's just an instinct we have, which we need to override. But if we don't know to override it, we'll indulge in the self-pity and the self-bashing at a time where we need to do exactly the opposite. Yeah, that's interesting to me, just because I equate, I think, maybe I'm just vain, a lot of my emotional health to my physical health. Like when I feel like I'm gaining weight or I'm not working out a lot, I feel mentally a lot worse. So I feel like they almost go hand in hand at times. Uh, you're talking about your physical appearance, not your physical health, because whether well, you well, gained a both. few pounds doesn't I, I necessarily I, do that much for your physical health. One way yeah, or yeah, yeah. I, I guess I'm talking about the image. Yeah, more image. Right, and for you, and look, and we are each have different things. So, so for somebody, the for somebody for whom their image is important, it's a part of their work, and it's an important part of, their, of, of what they do, and it's important. That's going to matter a lot. Um, and for somebody who's an accountant. Um, their ability to operate with numbers and pay attention to detail is going to matter a lot, right? So it kind of depends. But our physical health and our emotional health are fully entwined. Here's one example. Um, when people are lonely, we tend to think of loneliness as, oh, well, you know, that's something that happens to the elderly. The loneliest people these days are 18 to 34-year-olds. Hmm. That's the loneliest group, the people who report being most lonely, way more than the geriatrics. Why Number, do you think that is? Num I'll say in a minute, but here's the finding. When you are chronically lonely, it increases your likelihood of an early death by 30 something percent. Lonely wow. people die sooner, get sicker, live shorter lives, have more dementia, and I could go on and on and mm -hmm. on. It does a massive number. It literally kills you over time. We don't think of it. We think of it as a psychological, emotional thing, but it's very much also a physical thing because those two, those two systems are tightly, tightly linked. Now, mm -hmm. why young people are feeling more lonely these days is because loneliness is a comparison between what your expected emotional connection to others are and, and what your reality is. And when your reality is, I have 500 friends and 1,000 followers and all these contacts, and I don't feel that any one of them really sees me. I don't feel like the phone, you know, my, my, I've gotten the text, no one's checked in on me in two days, and supposedly all these people around me, I guess no one cares. And when I look on social media, everyone else seems delighted, happy, and connected, it makes you feel really, really, really bad. And so that social media can be a, something that is a comparison tool and it can make people feel like crap because when they're feeling bad, everyone else looks happy. It's highly curated and that's why, but that's not something you think about when you're feeling lonely and invisible. Well, let's talk about that then. So uh, you talk about uh, emotionally healthy, right? Uh, mm -hmm. What what do you think about people dating that are in an emotionally unhealthy state? Like, do you think that's something they should be doing? Do you think they should, they should prioritize that first and then start dating? Or do you think it's okay for them to 
kind of pursue and, and look for a partner while they're in like that vulnerable, unhealthy state? It's a great question. I think it depends on what the emotionally unhealthy state is actually about in that way. Because if it's about, for example, feeling lonely or feeling a lack of companionship or really wanting a partner and not having one, actually dating could be the very thing they need to feel better. If it's about they're thoroughly depressed, but not for that reason, or they're dealing with an anxiety situation, or they're having other kinds of problems of grief or whatever, um, then maybe they need to get to a better place to be more emotionally available. Um, but it really, it's, a, it's one of those, it depends answers that psychologists give all the time, and I apologize for, but it kind of does. Are there, are there signs that we could look for in uh, like partners or other people that might uh, signal to us that they're emotionally unhealthy in any sort of way? Yeah, but here's the thing, you know, uh, research on couples shows that if you watch five minutes of a couple having an argument, um, uh, couples therapists like myself can predict within 90 something percent accuracy whether that couple's going to get divorced. Hmm. Because the signs are very obvious. And the signs in dating are very obvious. I always say that um, dating is like, um, and, and relationship dynamics, your relationship is like cement. When the cement is wet, you can form it, you can make changes in it. But when it's dry, you really got to take a hammer and chisel to make any changes in it. And, and when you're dating, the cement dries very, very quickly. So within a very quick amount of time, you've fallen into a specific pattern with that person. And now to change that pattern, is going to be much more difficult than if you had changed it at the beginning. And one of the mistakes a lot of dating people make is like, yeah, that bothers me, but I'll deal with it later. It's going to be way harder to deal with it later. Hmm. I want to kind yeah. of take couples therapy now with, with Caitlin and see, uh, get someone's professional opinion. I think it'd be curious just to, to kind of get a better understanding for it. Because like you said, it's like, uh, especially when you start dating someone, I, I feel like we do a lot of these things subconsciously. Uh, and it kind of takes someone like a third party to, to kind of observe it uh, and, and tell you what you're doing. Because who the heck is going to be able to identify those things themselves? Most, most of the time, I would say, right? You, well, you can, but you actually have to stop for a minute and talk about it together because, you know, she probably has observations about you. You probably have observations about her. Some of them are accurate, some of them not, but the discussion could be interesting. Gotcha. Have you, uh, are you familiar at all with the five love languages uh, and like that whole kind of? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so Jared and I, just before, uh, just before bringing you on, we were talking about how just yesterday we did the uh, uh, forms of apology or what was it called, Jared? It was something like that, right? Uh, it was your apology language. Apparently, there's apology five language. different apology languages. Uh, right, and, right. And Dean and I took a quiz to tell us which language, apology language we speak. And so, um, and so there are five of them. I'm sure, I'm sure you know them, but it's uh, expressing regret, accept responsibility, make restitution, genuinely repent, or request forgiveness. Uh, and so, I don't know, it was just an interesting thing that Jared and I were talking about, and uh, I had my partner do hers as well. Hers was express regret, and so was Jared's. Mine was uh, accept responsibility. Um, how, how do you kind of feel when you maybe, not even couples, but just like when you see people that maybe struggle with, with that type of stuff, like uh, forgiveness, um, accepting responsibility, expressing regret, all that kind of stuff. Do you see that kind of as like a roadblock in couples ever? Oh, for sure. I see it as a roadblock in life and people can't do it. But I have a slightly different take on it. My take on apologies is the following. The mistake people make when they're apologizing is they make the apology about them. In other words, they offer the rationalizations and the excuses and the context of why I did what I did, etc. If, if it's an authentic apology, if you're really trying to get the person to forgive you, the apology needs to be about them. In other words, you need to be able to convey to them that you get what their experience was, what they felt about what you did, not why you did what you did, but if they felt about it, if you can convey, 
hey, I can understand how upsetting it must be that I did da, 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 and how frustrated you must have been because I know you've said that to me before and yet I keep doing it and I'm trying not to, but I can see how upsetting that must have been for you. And I can tell you, I'm really going to try harder. If that person feels like, oh yeah, you know what? You really do get it. They'll forgive you. If they feel you're just talking about you, they might say it, but they won't really. So if I had a guess, I would say guys, uh, apology language is genuinely repenting. I'm just going to go ahead. That's my guess. Actually, my answer to those five is all of the above. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I would that's agree. kind of the beautiful. That's kind of the beautiful thing about it, right? There is no wrong answer. They're all right, t- just based on. No, the I'm saying answer. you need all of those components. Uh, there's research, there's science about what constitute a, a a a useful apology when they really work, and it's when they have all of those ingredients. Okay, that's fair. I would agree. Well, Doctor, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we really appreciate your insight. Make sure everybody listening, go check out Guy Winch's podcast. Uh, of course, it is called Dear Therapist, which you can listen to anywhere you get podcasts. You can also go to GuyWinch.com, check out his books. Uh, you have tons of good stuff up there. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Doctor. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, and thanks for having me. At Walmart, there's a whole collection of black-led products that fit into your daily routine. We encourage you to show black founders some love, not just during Black History Month, but all year long. There is power in every purchase. Every time we purchase from a black-led brand, we make room for another black-led brand. Black founders and the products they bring to the table are creating a whole new world of choices at Walmart. Some amazing black-owned businesses that are available at Walmart include The Lip Bar, Zach and Zoe Honey, Partake Cookies, the list goes on and on. Go to walmart.com slash black and unlimited to discover all the amazing black owned products you can add to your daily routine. True love is always being excited from the first moment you see one another and every time after that. It's taking long walks together in the summer, gazing longingly into each other's eyes and, well, watching their tail wag when they chase a squirrel in the yard. The pedigree brand asked about believing in love at first sight. And honestly, the answer is yes. Ashley adopted Lois and I didn't know until I actually picked her up and saw her with my own eyes that we were taking this dog home. But I took one look at Lois and my life has never been the same and I love her so much and I'm very grateful for that moment that Ashley decided to adopt Lois. So it really was love at first sight for me. Adopting a dog can lead to a lifetime of meaningful connections. A pedigree loyalty survey revealed that 95% of dog owners say that the bond they have with their dogs is closer than expected. And another pedigree loyalty survey revealed 90% of first-time dog owners report that having a dog improved at least one relationship in their lives. We have adopted two dogs. First was Pappy and the second was Alistair. And I got to tell you, I didn't know I could love such a little creature so much with Pappy. He just stole our hearts right away. He was so attached to us. And even with Alistair, we got him and we fostered at first and then decided to adopt not long after that. Just a few days after. They bring so much light into our lives. After we lost Pappy, I was, Kaylin and I agreed to maybe take a couple months off from having a dog in our lives. And not even a week later, we, we couldn't stand it anymore. There's just so much light that coming home to a dog brings into our lives. And, and whenever we're on a trip, all we can ever think about is coming back home and seeing Alistair. So I, I love adoption. I think adopting dogs is the way to go. They are so grateful for it. They definitely love you harder because they know what you took them from and, and the great life that you're giving them. Real love can exist between pet and pet parent. Pedigree is committed to helping more dogs find loving homes, and we can attest that love at first sight is closer than you think. It's available at your local dog shelter. 
Find love at first sight with the Pedigree Adoption Drive, June 7th to 9th. And the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more about the adoption drive and to see full terms and conditions. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Ricky, it's your birthday today. Happy birthday, Ricky. Happy birthday. Bye. All right, and we are back after Jared and Ashley's wonderful cameo moment. Thank you for sticking around through that. Yeah, if you guys want to book us, you can go to cameo.com, Ashley and Jared. Uh, We do birthday shout outs. We can sing. We can dance. We can do whatever you'd like, really. That was uh, that was tough to get through, but hey, we're all stronger people because of it. And before we get into the emails, I would like to say, email us your dating situations. I suck at dating at iheartmedia.com. Good, bad, ugly. We want to hear them all. I suck at dating at iheartmedia.com. Shoot us over some emails. Uh, Mark, I think I heard you chime in. Do you want to get to our first email? I do. These are challenging today, but hopefully, you know, they're looking for the male perspective. Hopefully, we can give them some enlightenment oh, well, here. Let's start with that one. Trina. Yeah, we do, but I'm not sure what to say about these dudes. Oh. Trina says, I've been married for five years now. When we were dating, and what made me want to marry this man in the first place was his constant desire to speak, touch, affirm a relationship. He was low-key obsessed with me, but I loved it. Also, might be important to note, I was his first everything. Girlfriend, kiss, etc. So we got married, and I noticed on our honeymoon, he's already different. A few months into marriage, he decides he's made a huge mistake. It's too hard being a husband. He doesn't feel the same about me. So my question is, how? Is this even normal? How can the switch be flipped so quickly, so dramatically? Is this a man's psychology that the chase is over, and now it's boring? Uh, before you guys answer, I already have some questions. Like, she's still married, apparently, because she's five yeah, years. five years now, and it was right after the honeymoon that things kind of fell apart. So I'm not sure what's going on, but she'd like to get some insight into her husband's psyche. Poor Trina, you've been married for... I, I hope you haven't been miserable for five years. That would be depressing. I think this is a classic case of of, like... I don't know if you guys discover this, but like with your first everything, kiss, girlfriend, taking your virginity, so on and so forth, like you, 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 I think you get like lost in the moment a little bit. They always talk about like puppy love. I feel like that's like to the 10th degree when you're dealing with someone who's like been your first everything. And then I think you kind of discover, well, wait a minute, like what are other people like? You get curious and you want to kind of figure things out on your own that's what happened with me at least where i was dating this girl she's my first everything and then i got my early 20s and i was like well you know i'm attracted to other women and i kind of want to play the field a little bit and i want to date around and so i found myself kind of falling out of love with my first girlfriend because of this and i'm curious if this happened to this guy too yeah i mean i think he just uh if that's the case which i mean 
honestly, it probably is pretty, pretty good chance that that is the case. It's like, why would you start feeling that after the, like the marriage though? You know what I mean? Like, especially on the honeymoon, it's so quick. It's just like, it's just like such bad timing on his part. You know, like if you're going to have those feelings of maybe curiosity or, or whatever, just like have them earlier before you get married to someone um to kind of save everyone the heartache but i agree with you like my first girlfriend the girl that i lost my virginity to all these things like i was insane about her like 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 what would have done any like i cry like i don't cry ever anymore as an adult uh not bragging about that i don't think it's a good thing i just want to say um but this girl made me so freaking emotional all the freaking time i was crying about it i was like my gut was in knots all the time about it um and i probably felt the same way that this guy felt about you before you got married but like to Jared's point, like eventually that stuff disappeared. Uh, and I realized, you know, for whatever reason that we weren't meant to be together. Uh, I didn't marry the girl after I realized it or before I realized that, fortunately for me. But I mean, I don't know. I don't. What, Mark, what kind of advice do you have for Trina here? That's, that's the thing. I, I, my only guess with this guy is that he's young. I'm wondering if he's young, but I don't know what to do at this point. Guessing that you're five years in and you're not having a great time and it's kind of the same as it's been for the past four and a half years. Uh, you guys are going to have to talk to somebody. They're going to have to go to couples counseling and, and and not rule out maybe moving on from each other. If he's really not the man you dated, then that's not on you. You've clearly tried on this. If it's just not happening, I'm not sure what else you can do. I Question, mean, guys. If a guy is a, or if somebody in a relationship is obsessed with the other one while you're dating, is that mm-hmm. a red flag and should it be treated as a red flag? Uh, I actually, yeah, I think it might be a little bit of a red flag because I feel like that just flames out so quickly. I mean, with the example of Trina right now, that it can cause some issues where you're like, this is the girl I'm going to marry. I'm all in 100%. And then the day comes and you start having doubts and then you guys get married. I'm curious about if this guy was having doubts before the wedding and he just never vocalized it. And then he got married and realized I made a huge mistake. And that's why it seemed like he flipped switch because his mood just immediately changed realizing, oh, what am I getting myself into? Um, I think it's but a Jared, little bit I mean, of a red I th- flag. I think the argument could be made uh, for that, but because Ashley was obsessed with you, right? Yeah, it was, w- he- it was wildly unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> I, she sh- I told her that a million times. I'm like, listen, you don't understand. I'm crazy. I'm a psycho. Like, I'm a dude. Like, I'm not this guy that you're building up in your head. And she's like, no, you're perfect, and I'm obsessed, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay. And then luckily, after years of friendship, she started kind of like those feelings started subsiding, and we still had strong feelings for each other. So it kind of worked out in the end. But I still say to this day, if we got together when she was in that first phase, I don't know if it would have been a healthy relationship to start off with because those feelings would have subsided and... I feel that like we, you know, I just feel like it would have been a vastly different relationship than what we have now. So do you think Ashley's less obsessed with you now than she used to be? Hey, Ashley. <laughs> no, nah, she went to walk Lois. Never mind. Oh, I would say no, she's, need her. I know. Yeah. I would say she's less obsessed with me now than she was before. Not in a bad so that, way. No, I think that's healthy. I think that's healthy too. I mean, that's kind of the same situation that Trina's in. He was obsessed with her and now he's not. It's funny because I kind of think of my situation the same, like, when Kaylin and I first started dating, I got the feeling that she was obsessed with me. Uh, and now she like, you know, she still likes me. Don't get me wrong, but she's definitely not <laughs> obsessed with me. <laughs> she like, I don't know. It, it definitely is something that that fades. And I think that, I don't know, maybe Trina, maybe it happened so quickly or something like that, that that's why she's thrown off by it. But 
Uh, but I think that's I what that's, you guys have both thought is the normal arc, I think. You know, they're obsessed with the idea of you. And then when they get to know the real you, if they're still in love with you, that's a very good thing. I agree. Right. right when that right, fades. Right. Now, it's faded for this guy. I don't know what's happening nowadays, but uh, I'm, I'm concerned for the future of Trina's marriage. So, am I, so, so, Mark, are you obsessed with your wife? I think so. And here's this tangential topic. <laughs> but, but And on that point. I work with somebody uh, who says, and I think she may be right about this. When she first said it, I kind of scoffed, but she may be right, that the best relationships, the man is slightly more in love than the woman. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, Ashley tells me that all the freaking time. She's <laughs> like, you're supposed to be more obsessed with me than I am obsessed with you. And I was like, well, I'm sorry. That's not the way this one worked. <laughs> I need I an explanation. I'm more obsessed with my wife than she is with me. I need an explanation. Why is that the case? Why is that true? I'm not sure why, but I think there is something to that. <laughs> I think it it's creates more stability somehow because if the the woman is more obsessed, I think it maybe makes the guy back off a little bit or maybe uh, increases wandering eye. I'd also like to see the statistics uh, in terms of, I mean, we're really generalizing here, but like a relationship between a man and a woman, the statistics of who ends the relationship more, the man or the woman. I would be willing to bet that a majority of the time, it's the man who initiates ending the relationship rather than the women. And in that case, I do find it healthier if you're in a relationship where the man is more obsessed with the female because most likely, he's probably the one who's going to end the relationship. Does that make sense? Right. Well, to Mark's point, the wandering eye, I think men are more likely to have a wandering eye. And so by being more obsessed with the other person than the wife is... Uh, it kind of like reigns that in a little bit. So I can see that being. And to bounce off your point, I don't even just mean like the man broaches the conversation. I mean, the man could do something to jeopardize the relationship first. That's what mm. I'm including in my argument. Like you said, possibly cheating or doing something stupid. Well, anyways, let's 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 help Trina out. So she wants to know if it's normal. She wants to know how the flip, uh, the switch could be flipped so dramatically. And she wants to know if it's just a man psychology that the chase is over and now it's boring. And I think all of those things are true. I don't think those things. Yeah, exactly. I don't think, I I think all those things are true. I just think that there has to be more to it than that as well. Um, Because it's like, yes, obviously everyone likes, well, not everyone, but the chase is the fun part. Like that's the exhilarating, exciting. That's why he was obsessed with you because it was like exciting and, and uncertain. And like, he wasn't sure what was going to happen. And then marriage came along and like, obviously you're like, okay, cool. Now we're together for life. And so, I think the excitement, uh, not disappeared, but maybe it changed to something else. And so it's just a matter of like kind of tapping into uh, what those feelings would be. I mean, I I don't know. Five years is a long time. If if you started feeling um, reserved about this on your honeymoon and then five years later, you're still together. Obviously, like he's still with you, too. So you guys both still love each other. I think you just need to have a conversation about it. All right. I'm totally going to name drop right here. But this person gave me a great piece of advice one time. Mr. Rob Thomas <laughs> told me one time, he said, with the person that you're marrying, don't ever forget that this is the person you're going to be having a conversation with every day for the rest of your life. So make sure whoever you marry, it's someone you want to talk to every day for the rest of your life. And I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That, I found I mean, that this on psychcentral.com. 69% of all divorces are initiated by women. Oh, See, wow. that's an interesting t- stat, though, because 
sure, the divorce might be initiated by the women, but how many of those guys did something stupid to jeopardize the oh, relationship? Well, that's very true. And also for non-married relationships, it's even. It's 50-50. There's no hmm. statistical difference there. Interesting. A lot of minutia in there, though, I'm sure. A lot. A lot of minutiae. I agree. <laughs> Next email, also challenging, is from Alexandra. I've been dating my boyfriend for over a year now. My biggest issue in our relationship is he can't commit to taking trips with me. He always looks into them with me, but when it comes time to book, he pushes it off. Flash to now, we were supposed to go on a weekend trip this month, and then when it came time to book, he wouldn't book because he said he had all these unexpected expenses and he couldn't afford it. But that night, he was booking a plane ticket and planning a golf trip for his cousin's bachelor party and told me, we'll do something in May, I promise. Money seems to be no issue when it comes to things he wants to do or his family or with his friends. But when it comes to me and doing things together, he complains about spending too much money. I need a man's opinion, please. Hmm. I see no red flags here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even joking. Like, I mean, in terms of, yes, he needs to put more effort into the relationship. But in terms of like him trying to cover something up or him doing something nefarious, I I think this is the most guy thing I've ever heard in my entire life. He's willing to spend money on bro trips because he wants to go and hang out with his friends, but he's not going to spend money on going on a weekend getaway with you because he spends all his time with you. That's his rationale. He's like, well, babe, why would we pay hundreds of thousands or hundreds or thousands of dollars to go on this getaway weekend where we could just hang out in here, which is what we do constantly. But he feels like he's valid in spending money on his bachelor trip because he never sees his friends. I think that's what he's thinking. Right. Um, It's funny because listening to Mark read that. Uh, for the first half, I was like, oh, he's probably like broke and he just doesn't want to admit it or something. But then obviously it, it kind of unravels to him talking a lot about money. So that's not the case. I agree with Jared. I mean, uh, it like if you guys are spending a lot of time together, what is the appeal? It, it's funny because Caitlin and I talk about this, not talk about it all the time, but um, it's been a point of conversation before where she's like, I want to like have a weekend getaway up into Malibu. And I'm like, what is in Malibu that's not in Venice where we live every day of our lives together? Like, what, what are we going to get up there that we're not getting down here? And she's just like, I don't know. I just want like, want to get away. And I'm like, but what, like, what, what are we, what are we getting out of it? Um, long, sure enough, every time we have that conversation, we end up doing what she wants to do. So we go on these trips anyways. Um, but I mean, I agree with Jared. It's just like, you know, you're spending a lot of time together as is. And he sees that kind of as like him doing what he not like needs to do. That kind of makes it sound like a chore, but, but he wants to like use his getaways and his trips, like with his buddies, with his family, that type of thing. I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with Jared. I do think it is a red flag, but um, it's a small flag or it's like a, you know, it's not a very dark shade of red. It's not the <laughs> biggest deal in the world, but uh, I definitely see it causing some issues. If if it pers- if it persists, why sure. why is it a red flag? Because she's not a priority for him. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess like it, it, it's it's always a red flag if someone wants to do something and the other person isn't willing to do it for him, especially something as harmless as this, where it's like just spend a couple extra hundred dollars, get a hotel, drive up the coast an hour, you know, like you might not even like like the idea of it, but it's it's kind of similar to like me and Kaylin. Like I never really liked the idea of those little baby trips, but then we like leave on them and go on them. And I'm like, this is fine. Like, this is fun. I can see why you wanted to do this. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's not like the worst thing in the world at the end of the day, in my opinion. That's my Jared, No red flag, Jared. I mean, uh, sure. If you want to like a little putt putt <laughs> flag, 
Like the tiny. <laughs> this is more like I I agree. Like, listen, this guy needs to put more. This guy just needs to like not be a stupid guy and be like, oh, wait a minute. I got maybe I should take her on a weekend trip and you know make her happy. It's kind of like you know if there's a playoff game on and she, it's your anniversary, like it sucks. You got to go to dinner. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to go to dinner with her. Like, it's just, that's the way the world works, you know? So, like, this guy just needs to have that moment of light bulb and be like, all right, yeah, wait a minute. I got to, we got to go somewhere. I got to make her happy. But I certainly don't think, like, something, like, sketchy is going on. I think Alexander. No, I agree. I think you should just, like, tell him, like, this means a lot to me. It would mean a lot to me if we went somewhere together to bond. It does seem like he's taking her for granted a little bit, Mm -hmm. which you know, guys probably young, early in a relationship. I get that, but so Jared, it's like a, it's like a red flag with the little one on a club sandwich. Yeah, the little one that you you put like yeah. in the pickle, right? On a like, toothpick. The, yeah, perfect. Okay. Good. I mean, I think like I agree with Mark. I think that he is taking you for granted, and I don't think that you should like resort by saying something like you like we do a trip like this or we break up. Like, don't give that kind of ultimatum. But he probably knows that, like, he doesn't have to take you on these trips and you're still going to be his girlfriend at the end of the day, you know? Not necessarily a bad thing, not necessarily a good thing either. But, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, a little pickle flag. Yeah. Yeah, the pickle flag. And also, it's good to change it up every once in a while, especially, you know, how do I put this tactfully? Um, you know, the, the intimacy. Hotel okay. intimacy is way better than home intimacy. I mean, come because on. Because you can up. just... You can clean it with anything. You can rub it on the sheets, <laughs> on the curtains. I mean, Mark, that's that was a bold statement, but you're absolutely right. Well, I think we have different reasons, but <laughs> I think we get to the same place eventually. Just make sure you leave a tip at the end of the day when you leave. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Help, I Suck at Dating. What a way to end it. Uh, thank you. A big thank you to our guest, Guy Winch. Make sure you go listen to his podcast, Dear Therapist, wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's going to really do it. Uh, Dean, thank you for being the wonderful human being that you are. Um Ashley, thanks for constantly interrupting our podcast. Uh, And make sure you guys tune in next week where hopefully we all suck just a little less. Follow Help by Suck at Dating on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's time to celebrate Black History Month at the Walmart Black and Unlimited Clock. On Thursday, February 29th from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., you can celebrate an extra day of Black History Month with Walmart. This event is free and open to the public at two locations, Flatiron Plaza in New York City and Ovation Hollywood in Los Angeles. With giveaways dropping every hour on the hour, it's the perfect time to try, like, and share black-led products. It's free, it's for everyone, and it's your chance to see how you can level up your daily routine with black-led products that are creating a new world of choices at Walmart. Trust, you don't want to miss it. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Love at First Sight still exists. It's available at your local shelter.
This June 7th to 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions.